media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to have the hard task of trying to uh, get all the way through verse 1 this morning. Again, it surprised me as I did a little bit of research and we I looked at all the different uh, books of the Bible that we've gone through from beginning to end and uh, over the last uh, seven years. And it really amazed me that uh, we had not done any of the epistles. Now, again, one of the reasons for that is that we do preach from the epistles uh, from time to time just when you're talking about different things like marriage or work or family or whatever because they're application-oriented. They very much have great theology, but they also have very much this practical uh, way of living the life out. And so this morning we start on the journey of going through the book of Philippians. And uh, this was a, a, a book, a letter that was written by Paul to the Philippians. It was a church that he helped start 10 years previously on his second missionary journey. The overriding theme of the book is one of joy and one of encouragement. And I don't know about you, but joy is one of those things that seem to be uh, almost never present sometimes in the life that we live. And we would think that it would be ever-present. And yet, so many times it seems like we're grasping, not just for happiness, but true joy. And that's really the theme of this book. Uh, that and encouragement. And I don't know of anybody that doesn't need encouragement. It is a book about fellowship with other believers. In fact, one of the things uh, that that Paul does address in there is that there was kind of a difference of opinion between Two church members, go figure. And, uh, you know, he kind of addresses that a little bit because it was starting to divide the church. Um, it was a book about enduring difficult times, about not just having joy in Christ, but having joy in Christ in the most challenging of times of our lives. It's a book about priorities. Anybody have a hard time keeping priorities? Number one, knowing what is priority and then giving the, the weight behind that, that it's reflected in your choices. All of those things are about, are, are what we would find in Philippians. But overall, it is one, a book about one thing, and that is about Christ. You take Christ away from all this practical knowledge, all this information, all the direction, all the different things. Take Christ out, you're left with nothing, but maybe a, an attempt at a life hack. Do you know what a life hack is? Have you ever seen those on the internet where you go, okay, you know, they come up and, and something like this, where somebody says, you know, don't go order a $29.95 cable sorter. Get out your paper clips and let it kind of, you know, is that helpful? Yeah, it could be. I mean, if you have a lot of cables and something like that. And so life hack is how do I take the complexity of life and how do I simplify it? And a lot of times we can look at the epistles and we can look at a book like Philippians and we go, you know, where's the practical help that's there for me? And we treat the holy word of God like it's a life hack and Jesus like he's a life coach. He is holy God. And this is the holy word of God. This isn't a life hack. It's all founded on Christ. It's all enabled by Christ. And without Christ, it is not even a good life hack. In fact, in life hacks, have you ever seen some that you're going, I don't know. Uh, this Supposedly, if you put like glue, you know, the stick glue, that is a, a teeth whitener. Now, I'm not going to try that. If you want to try that and report back next week, you can do that. But, you know, every once in a while you come across a life hack and you're going, 
I don't know. You know, is that really true or not? And folks, when we take Christ out of the epistles, when we take Christ out of any of the direction that we have in the Bible, at best, we have a life hack. At worst, we have a way to really mess up our life. And so this morning, we begin a journey. Not just putting a positive spin on things when life gets hard. But living life with Jesus as the foundation of our very lives. And that's where it really is going to become challenging to us because this isn't just kind of, okay, I'm going to go try harder the next day. It's all about truly getting that priority of Christ and that foundation of Christ in our life. I I would think that some of the most famous verses that we know about uh, from the Bible and especially the epistles, we take from Philippians. I'm going to go over some of those in just a moment. And you're going to be very familiar with some of those. The problem is sometimes we become so familiar with those without really the study and the context of those that in a way they do become a life hack. Uh, for example, how many of you have heard this before? Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, if you've heard that, that's from Philippians. It's really kind of a foundational verse for the whole book. That uh, I, I, If I had entitled this whole series, it would be, For me to live is Christ. And I'm not ignoring the last part of that, but it's all about life in Christ. Have you ever heard this one? Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I have, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Very familiar. You may not have been able to say that's Philippians 3, 7, but maybe just in your Christian walk, you've come across that one. What about this one? Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I pressed on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you familiar with that? Heard that before? Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, This is a familiar one, especially on certain uh, times of the year, maybe Thanksgiving, uh, something like that. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever given that advice to somebody? I mean, just trust God, and He's going to be a peace that surpasses understanding. And we mean well, and maybe even we are applying it well, but every once in a while... If we're not careful, uh, we can turn into that bumper sticker theology and we can be kind of given a life hack. Hey, just go to church and your life's going to clear up. Hey, have you found that if you just go to church that your life instantly clears up? I have found sometimes that if you just go to church, sometimes your life can get pretty complicated, okay? You know, it's one thing to deal with everybody out there. It's another thing to deal with church people. I mean, this is not a place where we come and just because you enter into the doors that every part of your life becomes better. No, Christ makes everything better. He's the one that will give you a peace that surpasses understanding. is isn't just if you're looking for a job that all of a sudden, you know, started, you know, being more religious, a little bit more spiritual, and I got a job. Life is good. Know that whether we got the job or we didn't get the job, life in Christ gives us a foundation for us to build our faith and our trust in. 
This is the repeated theme throughout Genesis to Revelation, and it is especially the theme that we find here in Philippians. A very practical, practical book, and yet at the same time, it's one of those that uh, without the foundation of Christ, it's pretty meaningless. For example, look at Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, let's take this one verse. Is that good advice in general? Yeah. I can think bad things or I can think about good things. So, so we see how tempting this is. Just go, man, what good wisdom. And there, there is wisdom in that. But here's the whole thing. How many of you found that just because you believe something to be true and right, that that doesn't always communicate from the brain to the heart? And so that's where Christ is the foundation. He, he's not a secret sauce that makes us all work. He's the very foundation by which we can have transformation. Say, okay, I want this. This is wise. This is good. But without Christ in my life, without this foundation of spiritual change where I go from dead to alive, there's no hope. I'm going to have moments of this, but I'm certainly not going to have a life of this. And Paul was not talking about have moments of spirituality, folks. He's talking about have a life built and centered in Christ. For me to live is Christ. Not for me on Sundays, I want to be pretty Christ-like and go to church and help little old ladies at KFC afterwards. And I just, you know, I just want to do good things. To live is Christ. And the only way that we can live for Christ is to be transformed by Christ. The very power of God's Spirit within us at the moment of salvation. And would you agree that it's a lifelong journey? And so this journey, that's why he says, I, I, I want to finish this race. And even somebody with all the accolades of Apostle Paul would say, man, it's a journey and it's a long one. And I, just, I want to cross that finish line. If that's your hope, then Philippians is going to be a book that you're going to love. Perhaps the most misquoted verse in the Bible, I would say, um, certainly I think in Philippians 4.13, of just taking that out of context, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I've told you before, and again, I don't want to be a discouragement if that's what you said right before you know, you take the foul shot in an important basketball game, or, you know, there's two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and you're up to the plate, and you, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, that's not really the application of that. I'm glad that you're, you're thinking that better than something else, perhaps, but that's why going verse by verse through this book is going to help us. Okay, what did he mean by that? Because, guys, it's as important as it is to be up with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and our team is counting on this, there's a lot more importance if I'm a husband and a father and I need to live in Christ. There's a little bit of difference there, okay? I'm not minimizing sports and minimizing the importance of I want to really get that hit and I want to win the game. But I'm just saying the two don't compare. One's going to be gone tomorrow and the other one is a lifetime. That's why we don't need a life hack or a life coach. We need Jesus and we need his holy word. 
And that's why going through this is it's going to, I truly believe, it's going to be life-changing for many of us. Let me end with this one. This is another great one, one of my favorites. Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Good verse? That's a really good verse. Could it be misapplied? Yeah. I want the Corvette, and I want that really cool color of silver that they have it in this year. And all of a sudden we're going, okay, God, I'm trusting you for this. I'm believing it. Is that the right application that God's going to supply my every need? Now, what he probably needs to do is show me what's the difference between a need and a want. <laughs> or a dream. <laughs> in my case with a Corvette. I mean, it's just not, it's not going to happen, okay? And so that's why God's word. Now, let me give you a little bit of, um, uh, background. Because, uh, we used to call this at Shadowbrook, we used to call it Nerd Day. Where we just kind of go over, you know, here's all the nerdy facts. Uh, there is a map in here a little bit later on for all those. And I'm so glad that we have the new sc- There it is. And there's certain people right now that you're just your map people and you're going, ah, oh, that explains everything. I think the Holy Spirit just came and fell upon me because there's a map and I can see a picture. But Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, around the year of 60 or 62 A.D., and uh, this is after Christ has risen and gone to heaven, ruling over things and are, you know, do, doing what he's doing, interceding for us. And, and so now Christianity is, is taking place. Paul is going on missionary journeys and telling people about Christ. And, and this was on the second missionary journey. And he kind of ventures over, believe it or not, this is Europe. Okay, this is a part of Europe over there. And he's actually beginning to take uh, to a, a, a place uh, Macedonia, uh, he's taken to a place where there had not been the word of God before. Um, he's writing this from a prison cell. It's one of those uh, situations where we're not absolutely sure. Some people have said a uh, prison cell uh, in Caesarea. He was in prison there. I don't think that's the one. Uh, some said Ephesus. I don't believe that's the one. I believe that he's in Rome. And I could point to uh, several things as when we get there. I believe that he's in a Roman prison and that he's in Rome. He started the church there 10 years before writing this. Um, the story of how the church came about is found in Acts chapter 8. So if you don't mind, go, even though we were in Philippians 1-1, and we'll come back to that, go to Acts chapter 16, because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Because I want to share with you how this church was birthed. How did it come into being? Acts chapter 16. I think it's one of the coolest stories about the church start in the Bible. Um, Paul's trip to Philippi is totally a God thing. He doesn't want to go to Philippi. He, he wants to go in another direction. He really wants to go to Rome. He, he wants to go over there. God keeps on telling him, no, you can't go to Rome. He finally does make it to Rome as a prisoner, but not as a missionary. Or so we think, or so he thinks. And he finds out that he does a great work there, a missionary work in the confines of a prison cell. But have you ever had one desire or one thought and God says no? And you have a choice at that point. Okay, I'm either going to go against God or I'm going to be obedient to God and see what he has. Paul was, thank goodness, obedient to God. And God had to be a little bit persuasive. We, we see that in Acts chapter, uh, 
16, look what it says in verse 9. Paul begins to, to, to receive a word from God in a vision at night. Verse 9, in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, that's kind of like when Jonah heard from the voice of the Lord and said, okay, go tell the Ninevites this. Is there anything that you don't understand about what the, the Spirit led him to do? Did he say, go look for somebody that looks like they need help? Is that kind of non-discriminate at that point? I mean, you could really point to anybody in this crowd and say, okay, they look like they need some help. But what is that? when a man from Macedonia comes up and says, come over to Macedonia and help us, what part of that is really hard to understand? Kind of like when your mom says, go clean your room. What part of that is hard to understand? Then you get into the whole discretionary thing. Okay, what is clean? And we talked about that several weeks ago. But here, he just says, go to Macedonia. And in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, what's the next word? Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. He made the choice. He wanted, where did he want to go? Rome. And yet he gets this vision from God. He gets this word from God and says, no, we need help in Macedonia. And so immediately he responds to the Spirit's leadership and he goes to Macedonia. He said, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now what do we know about Macedonia? It was a Roman place, a Roman culture ruled by Roman law. They were as Roman as you get. It was a uh, important military spot. It was upon one of the famous highways of the day called the Ignatian Way. And so it was a, a major city, had a lot of people coming through. And um, it was filled during uh, the, the height of the city with military people because it was an important Roman site. But a lot of those military people, after they retired, guess where they went to live? Right there. And so if you can imagine the people that are in this place that God has called them, they're the Roman of Romans, they're military Romans, they are what we would call today nationalist. That is, they believe so deeply in Rome, into Caesar, into everything Roman, that you could not persuade them. They had much higher kind of love and desire for the things that were Roman Roman. And so anything against that, they were going to buck up against. They were going to rebel against. And yet this is where God called Paul. Do you think that he's going to have a message that is always just 100% cohesive with Roman culture? Do you think he's going to have a message of this gospel that plays into the mindset of the Roman mindset that said might is how you win? Out of all the places that God could have called Paul, this was going to be really, really hard ground. Because the culture and the mindset and the people that were there. Now, when Paul would go into the missionary journeys and he would go into a new town, uh, some of you that have studied uh, kind of deeply for, where did Paul usually preach at first? The synagogue. He would find the Jews and he would go to the local synagogue and he would start preaching there. And then it would expand out. And that was something that we see Paul doing over and over and over again. Okay, go to the synagogue. Here he doesn't begin to preach in the synagogue. Guess why? 
There's not one. This is a very Roman city, okay? And it, you had to have ten people. I just held one hand up. I guess ten is still two hands. Um, ten people to, to, to at least begin a synagogue. So we don't know if they didn't have ten Jewish people in there, but they didn't have a synagogue. In other words, the Jewish population is just about non-existent there. So Paul hears of these God-fearing women and by the, that they were meeting for prayer and study uh, by a river, and he went out there to preach. It's not the synagogue. It's not a, a room filled with Jewish people that have some belief in God and kind of aligned a little bit, and he can tell them about, hey, this prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and, and now here's the, the New Testament in comparison in the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He doesn't have that synagogue to preach, but he has this little gathering of a lady and some others. They're meeting by the river. And so he goes to preach there. Verse 14 and 15 of Acts 16. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. Now, what does that mean, a purple goods? This lady dealt with the rich. Purple goods were that of royalty. It was expensive. It was the, the, you know, the highest end perfume. It would have been the highest end handbags. That's what this lady did. It's very rare for a lady, number one, to have kind of that business, especially independently owned. And so she's kind of this rare bird that she's very, very, um, a businesswoman and she's successful. And yet here she is leading a Bible study. So it said, uh, she's out there, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here he is, he's going into a, a new city filled with a lot of people that may not be really welcome to the gospel. He, he's led by the Spirit down to the river. This lady's there. She's led by the Spirit to receive the word. She trusts Christ. She becomes, she gets baptized, her family. And then she says, come back to the house. Do you think she had a nice house? Yeah. I mean, she's seller of purple. The lady was successful. And yet immediately we see this gift of hospitality. Hey, come on back. And so that becomes kind of the, the starting place. Lydia and her family were the, the charter members of First Baptist Church, Philadelphia. And we could say that. And outreach of the church began almost immediately. They, they were going to pray. And they one time when they were going out there to pray, they meet this little girl who had the ability to tell fortunes. She could tell kind of what would happen. Next week, so people would pay her. I actually pay her. She was owned. She was a little, uh, uh, she was a slave girl and they would pay the masters and they were making a lot of money off of this little girl. But the ability that she had to tell fortunes was because she was demon possessed. Okay. The word that we see there is where we get the word python, a snake. And, and so all of a sudden, they come upon this little girl. Look what happens in verse 16 and 17. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That divination, again, the Greek word, is where we get the word python, a snake, speaking out something from inside. 
kind of this very kind of scary kind of picture in your mind. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, does that sound like a good message? She's following along with Paul. Hey, these are holy men. And what are they proclaiming? The way of salvation, the way to get right with God. Sounds like a good message. It wasn't. It was mockery. She was um, disturbed. Demon-possessed, disturbed. She was not in the right mind. And so she would shout out. She would cry out. And she would say this. And Paul and them knew that it was a mockery. She may have been saying the right words, but it was almost like, you know, somebody saying, you know how they make fun of you by saying something that you would believe in, but they say it in such a tone that you know that they're making fun of you? That's what was going on here. She's screaming and she's making fun. After a few days of this, it would have taken me a couple hours. Paul actually, by the Spirit of God, it takes a couple days. He gets annoyed and look what he does, verse 18. And she, and this, uh, she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed. The Greek word there is ticked off. Um, and he just, he's had enough. He, he's had it up to here. And he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now watch this, guys. This is so cool. God saves her, and that causes all kinds of trouble. Uh, not for her, but for her in the sense that the, the owners that were making a lot of money off of her and her ability to be able to be a fortune teller, now all of a sudden she doesn't have that ability. She has no desire to do that. She's in her right mind. And so do you think that they're angry? Oh, if you want to do business, you can do business over here, but don't mess with my business. So now they're ticked off. Now they're annoyed. And what do they do? Verse 19. And when our owners saw that the, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them there to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews which would have been a killer word in this very Roman mindset community. And they are disturbing our city. Now look at their complaint, guys, in verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. You know what they're saying? They don't do it the Roman way. These guys are not Roman, and they're coming in here with all kinds of weird different things. And they just don't act like us. Her owners are enraged and they have Paul and Silas thrown into jail. They're complaining. They don't do it the Roman way. Remember, they're nationalists. They believe, they drink, they breathe nationalism. These guys, the, the, the main offense, you're not acting Roman. What happens? Verse 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Any of y'all remember that story? Hearing that story? You know, they're thrown to prison. They start singing. 
All of a sudden, they look down and God causes the earthquake. Prison doors fly open. The shackles on their chains fall off. I mean, they can run for the hills. Do they run for the hills? No. I mean, opportunity is there for them to escape. Go preach the gospel. But they stay right there. Now look what happens, verse, thir- uh, verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Back in those days, if you were the one on guard and the prisoners escaped, guess what? <laughs> you weren't just court-martialed. That was a sentence of death. So he's just kind of short-circuiting. He said, I'll just take my own life. Verse 30. Paul goes to the jailer and he sees that he's about to take his life and says, put the sword down. We're, We're all right here. Verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We didn't run. We had the opportunity to. There's no shackles on our feet. There's no shackles on our hand. If we wanted to escape, we could have, but we didn't. So don't take your life. And it made such an impression on this Roman jailer in a Roman culture filled with Roman nationalism that he saw the beauty of the gospel. He said, what do I have to do to be like you? You're so different. What made you that way? Paul gets to share the beauty of the gospel with him, the beauty of Christ with him. They brought him out, verse 30 again. Then they brought him out and said, Sirs, what I must do to be saved. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why does Acts tell us this about the formation of the Philippian church? Because, guys, as we would go out and plant a church, there'd be a lot of materials out there how to plant a church. Do it this strategy, this strategy, this strategy. I don't believe that in one church planting book ever out there said, go find a really successful businesswoman, a demonically possessed teenager, and a Roman jailer that is against everything that the gospel would stand for. And yet, God, how does God start the church in Philippi? Those three people. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a cool story? That God, when he's moving and active, he does things that are so unconventional, some unthinkable, that it blows her mind. I mean, I don't, again, I know a lot of church planners, and not one of them have ever told me, well, what I'm looking for is a successful businesswoman. Maybe they have said that one, because they need money to get started. But, you know, they would not have said, you know, I'm really looking for a demon-possessed people and uh, guys that uh, really are big and brutal and kind of don't think the way that we think. That ragtag bunch, diverse group of people, become the, the seeds that God plants to grow this church. So when Paul writes to them 10 years later, I, I truly believe that it's probably his favorite church. I think he loved all the churches, and you can tell that in the way that he writes. Look at verse 1. We finally got to verse 1. 
And in another hour, we'll be done with verse 1 and have a great foundation. Uh, Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Does it sound kind of formal? Is there a lot of, can you pick out some things there that are just meaty and applicable to life? Or does it seem like just a formal salutation or just a formal, hey, you know, this is who I am writing to you. Let's break that down because there's three things I want you to notice that show that Paul so loved this church, the people of this church. That this, because that's going to be the foundation for this whole understanding of Philippians. That because of Christ as the ultimate foundation, and now his love for these people because of the hope of Christ in them, I truly believe this is probably Paul's favorite church. What do we see in that verse first? Number one, how does he identify himself in Timothy? He uses a word, servants. Go back and look at how he starts a lot of other epistles. He identifies himself as this thing called an apostle. Which one do you think describes Paul? Apostle or servant? Be careful. Both. Good. Good thinking. Which one do you, you know, to open doors and kind of make things happen, which one do you think you would use most? I mean, you're going to a new place. You're trying to establish something. Yeah, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. Here he writes to this church. He said, okay, Paul and Timothy, and we're we're servants. We're servants. I don't need to show my authority with you guys. You know me. We have a personal relationship. How does he identify the people of the church? What word does he use there? Saints. As he begins to call them saints, what is he doing? He he lowers his own position. I'm not an apostle. I'm here as a servant. And let me elevate your position because this is your position in Christ Jesus. You are a saint. Former demon-possessed teenager that, that went out there and did all this kind of sorcery and witchcraft kind of fortune telling? You're a saint of the living God. Roman jailer, they probably had more stories to tell than anybody could imagine. You are now, because you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you're now the saint of the living God. See, this is the great thing, guys. This is the great equalizer. This is the beauty of the, the New Testament church. That the Lydia's can come with all their Resume of accomplishments, but all the outcasts can come. All the ones that, that only fit into this one model, but nowhere else. And then we come together and says, okay, you're the saints. You're the church. You're my bride. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks. If we started compiling differences, what is different about us, do you think that would be a pretty long list? I mean, we would, I mean, we'd probably start on the things that really don't matter that much. Things like Republican and Democrat or something like that. We would go all, through all kinds of different scenarios of, well, they're this way and, you know, they're from the north. <laughs> I'm from the south. Well, you know, they're white collar. Well, I'm blue collar. Well, they're from America. Well, they're not from America. We, we could go through all kinds of differences, 
all kinds of different things that would separate us. And the beauty that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is how Christ brings us together as the body of Christ. And here he says, you're the saints in Christ Jesus. And that's the third and most important part, in Christ. We said it last week, that which separates us does not even begin to compare to that which unites us. This gospel, this hope of Jesus Christ. And why do I share that? And why do I think that it's important for us to see that in verse 1 if we're to grasp Philippians? Because they are going to be a church that are going to be like us, that they're dealing with life. But Paul starts out very much going, who you are in Christ will determine everything about your life. There is not a greater identifier in your life. There's nothing that I can give you. Your nationality, your race, how much you make. If you come from a single-parent home, if you come from this kind of home, if you didn't even have a home, If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, if you put your trust and your faith that Christ is the only answer that God has for a holy God to have fellowship with us and for us to be made right with him, a holy God, the only answer is Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. This beautiful gospel. Folks, at that point... You really don't need another identifier. And if you're going to get Philippians, if I'm going to get Philippians, I need to start right there that this is what it means to be life in Christ. To live is Christ. Everything. Everything. That we are of any eternal value is because of Christ. Well, Pastor, my marriage is pretty important. My kids, I would die for them. I would. You get a better understanding of this whole gospel when you realize, man, I would give my own life for that child. That's what God did for me. I, I get that. I tell people all the time, I learned more about my God than I... That Ashley was born two months premature, and they come out and they said, You know, it's, it's, it's tenuous. We, we have hope. I learned more about my God that night than I did in three years of seminary. I promise you. It's the first time I knew the heart of God. If I could love this little baby so much, and she was just born then how much more do you love me when you have given your only son so that I could become one of your children? All of a sudden, those big theological words really didn't matter. They were important, but they didn't matter. Because instead of just knowing the head of God, God revealed to me his heart. What identifies you this morning? If it's anything, if, if, if you're a Christian this morning, and if anything identifies you greater than who you are in Christ Jesus, 
it's a, you've misappropriated something. Something's gone wrong because this is not the Christ life. The Christ life is the foundation. It is, I used to illustrate the, the pie shell that, can, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a worker, I'm a pastor, I'm a wannabe golfer. I love the Braves, and I've got all these slices, but Jesus Christ is the, the pie shell. He holds all these different things that could easily identify me, and he's the foundation. He's what holds it together. The book of Philippians will be one of your favorite books, I promise you. But to get it, you have to understand what he says right here in the beginning. That that which most identifies you in life, if you're a Christian, is that you have life in him. And if you get that, you'll get Philippians. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, today as we pray, as we think, Father, as we are challenged by this word, Father, I realize we didn't get into some of those most loved verses, Father. I I realize that we didn't get to to spend a lot of time on uh, this or that. But Father, I pray that in the simplicity of your word this morning, that Father, that you would show us that no advice, no life hack, no strategy to live is important at all. It can really give any hope if it is not based upon the foundation of you and our lives. I'm so proud to be a husband of Carly. I'm so proud to be a a father to Bethany and Carly. I'm so, so proud to be a papa of my kids. But Father, without you being the main identifier, I will have momentary pleasures And so, Father, help me to always keep that priority. Help me to always see things in the light of who you have called me to be, who you've made me, how you brought me from death to life. I was blind and now I see. All because of you. So, Father, help us to make this pledge this morning. Help us a heartfelt pledge, not compulsion to to just be part of a group. Help us, Father, individually this morning. Truly, as we sing this song, take my life and to let it be, to, to, to Father, take these songs that we would sing and anything that reflects upon us just giving our lives to you. Father, help us to do that this morning. Help this journey be built upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.